I'm Chris Tulak, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. My name is Gary Sarley, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Perkins. I'm the design manager for miniatures and role-playing games at Wizards of the Coast, and I never, ever listen to the Order 66 podcast. Hi, I'm Bob Farnsworth, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast, but I'm a monster. This episode of the Order 66 podcast is brought to you by, in part by our sponsors GoDaddy.com and Audible.com, and also in no small measure to the generous contributions of GM Dom, Dominic Crawford. This episode is for you. D20 Radio, your gamers roll. Execute Order 66. Gamer Nation 2, the Order 66 podcast. This is the Order 66 podcast, the only podcast generated, dedicated to Star Wars Saga Edition gaming. And this is episode number 65 for April 26, 2009. I'm your host, GM Dave, and with me as always, Mr. GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? We are here. We are coming back at you a little, a little early on this Sunday night. So I want to thank those who crawled out of bed after their Saturday night debauch uh, yeah. to uh, join us. And uh, for those who are walking into the room for the first time, as Dave said, this is, of course, the Order 66 podcast, the only fan-generated podcast devoted to the greatest D20 system ever created in RPGs. And I'm very happy to be here. Ah, uh, yes. As am <laughs> I. And we will get started right now. But first, we have the first ever D20 Radio commercial. Hey, hey, Gamer Nation, this is Brian, host of Game On, D20 Radio's own tabletop gaming podcast. This week, Jake won his game, so he gets to run the podcast. Also with us will be Kat with a new bit called That's What She Said. Come on over and check it out. Hear the chaos in progress as Jake runs the show in episode 18 of Game On, entitled Jake Over. Yes. And with that, the news. Announcements! Um, well, aside from uh, Game On's fantastic cast, which is a great cast, by the way, um, what else do we have up, man? What else is up in the uh, in the glorious D20 Radio Network? Well, Minis Mayhem has entered the fray again, and there was a time when Minis Mayhem would have been good, but the hosts were lazy. And if you listen to the episode number four, you will hear that exact sentiment echoed, along with a really cool little intro that they have now. <laughs> and, yep, so Brev and Tenny look at 
movement rules, and they look at the squads from the Old Republic and the Separatists. By the way, Brev made him made Tenny build a squad of Separatists without droids. What? Yeah, that's like that's like having Picasso and Ansel Adams go to an art competition and telling Picasso that he couldn't use a brush. All right. So, wow. uh, you know, that's just that's just stupid. So, uh, I, I got to give props to your analogy, though. That's very, um, yeah, an, anal, 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 uh, analogy, anal, analog, analog, anal, uh, yeah. Are you talking? Okay. So, anyway, what, <laughs> what we were, <laughs> Tenny retaliates at the end of the show and makes uh, Brev build a Sith squad with no Force users. So, Ouch. Yeah. So yeah, go take that, Mr. Brev. Yeah, Brev acknowledged that he cheated in the last one to uh, to beat Tenny, and Tenny would have had him beat. So I still submit to you that Tenny won, even though they said that Brev did. So whatever. By default. Whatever and whatever and super whatever. So anyway, my favorite part of the show is when they go through the anthology of Chewbacca. All the all the Chewbaccas. All the Chewbacca Bacas. That's right. So, yeah, y'all pick up game episode number four of Minnie's Mayhem today. It was good. And if you can't get enough of Brev and you're very interested in his very good friend Jed, uh, the real four of Cinematic Attic is up, where uh, I greatly enjoyed it because they talked all about Kurosawa, um, one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Um, and that was totally awesome. Totally. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, RFH got a podcast up, did they not? Dude, man, GM Tim is DM Tim is talking about his favorite class, the Bard. The Bard, yes, dude. Adventure 19, it's fantastic. And um, lastly, uh, come out this past week. What? Meanwhile, uh, meanwhile, the Super Gaming Podcast uh, really delved into the glories of Japanomania and all the uh, RPG goodness therein. Yeah, uh, which was a lot of fun. So that's excellent. But you guys can find all these wonderful podcasts at, of course, www.d20radio.com, where you can also find the link to our chat room, which also houses our live vidcast at ustream.tv. And what's up with Ustream, man? Ustream is jacked. Ustream is totally jacked. I'm really, really quite upset by it. And, uh, you know, anyway, what are you going to do with it, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, But uh, thank, thank you. How, how many people are watching right now on the live chat? Um, they were last time I looked. We there's, were there, there's seventeen. There's seventeen that are actively can, logged. Yeah. Now that of course that I have to navigate back and forth to see how many people are actually watching. There's sixty-one watching. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. So go figure. Go figure. But you guys should sign up to Ustream and become an active part and chat away with us as we do the show. And also to answer a question, um, we finally got uh, some of the. Uh, the, our new our new site look is constantly being updated by uh, Dave's genius, and we finally got our swag link up, so you guys can of course go make donations for the cast if you would like. Um, support us by buying a wonderful T-shirt, and the for those who have been asking uh, where the downloads link went, it is now the swag link. We want to um, again stuff we all get, <laughs> right? Uh, including downloads, and we got some fresh new ones up there, um, straight from our gamer nation to our gamer. Dude, I, actually, I want to I want to I want to pimp out one in particular that I loaded up there, and that is Donovan's big giant book of like monsters uh, or threats. Oh, yeah, of that, threats and NPCs. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's like like Threats of the Galaxy Two. It's very very nice. Wonderful resource. Right. So yeah, contests. Um, gosh, RFH's contest is still going on, is it not? 
Yes, it is. I believe so. They are looking for monsters, all the monsters that are fit to print, and in return, you get a VIG and badge for Gen Con, I think. What are the details there? Uh, well, they just want you to design a full monster for 4th edition. Um, they want you to post it up on the forums at d20radio.com slash forum. And again, the winner of the contest, who designs the coolest threat for 4th edition D&D, will get a fully paid-for badge to Gen Con with the VIG companion tag, which kind of gives you all the privileges of being a VIG, except for like the hotel stay and stuff. Um, and that's all paid for by RFH, so too cool. Um, I'm totally digging on it. Way too cool. And we're, we're coming on the end of our other contest, yes? Uh, it ends, what, April 30th? Yep, yep, yep. Take us through the details there, buddy. It's your contest. Na- uh, it is, I guess it is. Name that chat room. Uh, we're naming the chat room. Uh, thanks to the wonderful suggestion of Hi Jedi, uh, we're going to give our chat room at, at Ustream a name. And uh, you guys can see a poll up there right now. And the suggestion of uh, Mr. Gary Asselford of Echo Base is far and away the lead right now, but that could still change. And you know you guys can modify your votes at any time, so please do so. That thread will be locked on the 1st of May. So uh, get to the forums right now at d20radio.com slash forum and vote. That's right. Other things in the wide world of news... Um, Dude, have you seen the second excerpt uh, from the Jedi Academy training manual? I have not. I noticed that it was up there, but I have not seen it as of yet. Rap, it made me cream my jeans. Um, juicy bits of web goodness. <laughs> yeah, very, very juicy bits of web goodness. Um, consists of two delicious pages of PDF um, detailing some of the, uh, the, the more detailed lightsaber crystal goodness therein. And uh, you can find it right now at www.wizards.com slash Star Wars. Indeed. Yes. And lastly, con goodness, Dave. Con goodness. Ah, yes, indeed. So we're coming I'm, up I'm, on ReaperCon. You were out there again last weekend, weren't you? Or this weekend? I was, I was out there Saturday. Yeah, ReaperCon was fantastic. So, okay, first of all, Vader's son on the forums, our, my good friend Duncan McEwen, he came into town uh, Saturday night, um, or Saturday morning, excuse me, and stayed the day with us and then left this morning. Um, that was fantastic, and we got to go out to Reaper and throw down some uh, some Saga Edition with some of the guys out there um, and some other regular gamers I game with, and we ran a fantastic one-shot. Uh, he played a Gungan Jedi, which we all gave him heck for. Um, uh, of course. You would like to know that he did die. Oh, well, that's okay, I guess. I mean, it's a Gungan after all. <laughs> Very so, true. So, tell me, how good are you going to feel one day when we're hanging out in Denton and... Beautiful Denden, Texas. We're hanging out at perhaps, Reaper perhaps Con, at Reaper, yes. and all of a sudden shows up Gary Sarley. Would you feel I, a little bit small? I would feel small and a little, a little, a little about as small as I felt when I got to meet the the giant in the flesh at uh, Gen Con last year. Ah, yes, indeed. And, uh, and you I had, thought, yes. but you had no idea that he lived ten minutes away. For, well, from you, yes. I had no freaking clue he lived, you know, 30 minutes away from me, uh, <laughs> which is freaking awesome. So I sincerely hope he's able to make it to ReaperCon. Yes. Um, it's, it's very exciting. But uh, ReaperCon, of course, is coming um, May 14th through the 17th. And if you guys are a fan of Reaper's Fine Miniatures, you can get your paint on for three days of classes, contests, and minis goodness. And Dave, TG, and I will be there uh, GMing some Saga Edition. And I've just found out that the RFH crew will be at ReaperCon as well, throwing down some D&D. So yep. it's going to be an extravaganza. And if you guys want to find out more, you can head over to ReaperMini.com slash ReaperCon. And also, we forgot to mention this last week, 
the fine folks at Reaper have been gracious enough, Dave, and, and you've seen this treasure trove of goodness. Yep. They have been fine enough to grace us with swag. A big box of swag, as a matter of fact. A, a rather large number of minis, paints, and accessories to go therein. And uh, I haven't decided yet whether this is going to be one contest, most likely two. We'll probably divvy this up into a couple prize packs. And as we get a little closer to ReaperCon, we're going to be running some massive contests with these as the prize. So keep your ears peeled. <laughs> uh, or eyes, sorry. ears open. But yeah, you, you know what I mean. Uh, we're going to be revealing details about that in the near future. Yeah. Um, and dude, you know, Origins is coming up in June. Uh, June 24th to the 28th uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And I am proud to announce that our very own Vader son, Duncan McEwen, will be representing D20 Radio at Origins with the first of D20 Radio's con modules, The Death of the Star of Agnor. He will be there running two sessions of that, one session of The Betrayal of Darth Revan, and another session of, um, of, uh, 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 yeah. oh gosh. That, The Rebel Run? There, no, no, there's there's another system he's running, running a single session for. Um, okay, trying, probably trying, should have been in your show notes. Yeah, probably, but I, I just, I, yeah, probably should have been in my, my, my show notes. Oh, oh DC, he's running DC. That's what it is. Oh, yeah. um, Episode so, sixty-five, yeah. worst show ever. <laughs> worst show ever. But hey, Fulon finally made it into the room. Hey, look at him. Good for him. I'm glad he was able to get past, um, you know, the UStream jackness. The UStream jackness. That's right, man. Worse than. But I'm, jackness. I'm totally excited that uh, this is the first of our con modules uh, of D20 Radio's con modules is going to be run at Origins, and it will be available for download after the con. So, I'm very excited by this. Heck yes. So am I, as a matter of fact. You should be. We all should be. Yep. It's a good. All right, <laughs> and I wanted to. I wanted to say. Uh, I wanted to give one big shout out to uh, a young man. Who took the time to meet, or he didn't meet, I, I've never actually met this young man, but I was told that he entered the world at 5.23 p.m. on April 24th, and this would be William Brevard Tanner, GM Brev's new son, who I said was going to be a boy, by the way, in face of all the girls that told me she was going to be a girl. Anyway, I thought she was going to be a girl. Six pounds, ten ounces, nineteen and three-quarter inches long, and GM Brev says he's very handsome. Just like his daddy. So congratulations, Mazeltov. Mazeltov is a very cute G baby man. We went up there on um, on Friday to go see him, and I understand they actually got discharged today. Every the baby's healthy and happy, and he and his beautiful wife are home resting with their new son. So, congratulations, oh, yeah. man. That's right. So mother <sighs> and baby are doing well, and uh, um, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, Brev, uh, you know, he didn't come out with the Gungan ears like you wanted. But it's okay. It's okay. You know, I made a mobile for the crib out of Star Wars minis, but they wouldn't put it up. Something about tiny plastic pieces. Ah. Something. <laughs> Whatever. Ah. Damn it, man! You just can't. Uh, you just can't trust babies these days, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. They Seriously. just don't know what's good for themselves. God. Blah. So anyway, speaking of that, speaking of babies. What <laughs> What did you get in the mailbox? I got a postcard from our good friend, Commander Cody. Really? Did oh, have a baby on dear. It? He's not a baby. Why are you hating on Cody, man? <laughs> He's a loyal servant of the Empire, working hard to keep us safe. But Okay. Dude, why did you go into Ebonics? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't well, know. Welcome to Order 66, episode number 65, the least politically correct episode 
ever. Well, this postcard, Dave, um, is made of what looks like waterproof plastic-coated paper. Uh, But it's been torn nearly in half as if many different beings were fighting over it. And the simple picture on it is of a water-covered world with wispy cloud cover and a handful of tiny land masses peeking above the blue water. And the words read, Welcome to Ando, traveler. As the primary race of the Aqualish, we, the Aquala, welcome you to our beautiful home. From across the galaxy, it's time for Postcards from Commander Cody. Dear GM Tide and GM Chris, Hi guys. Well, Project Hamatong seems to have stopped looking for power sources. Our search for a petroleum-based solution was a waste. But I think another unit figured out the problem. We've now been assigned the task of acquiring specialized scientists for this project. Our search has led us to a strange place. We traveled back to the Mid-Rim and to the Dolphalden sector for the planet Ando. We've got quite an Imperial presence here as it is, so it's no trouble to explore the world heavily in our search. The ruffians who call this soggy world home have a history of warfare, violence, and bad decisions. The Aqualish are a strange people, with the worst qualities of an arachnid and a walrus, not the least of which is a very bad temper. Their world has been in a constant civil war, as I understand it, over the three subspecies of Aqualish fighting for dominancy. Rubbish. Even when part of the Old Republic, Ando didn't know what was good for it, joined up with the Separatist scum. So we've got our thumbs on them for now, which is a good thing. Ando itself is almost all water, a soggy, wave-tossed world with thick cloud cover. A few bits of land on the surface are no more than marshy bogs covered in fog and strange plant life. But what land there is has been fought over for millennia, nearly every inch covered in settlements. There's also a great deal of sailing ships here, massive ones that double as floating settlements and, and homes. I saw an Aqualish with an eye patch and a hook for a hand this morning. He called me mighty. <laughs> Alien scum. We're in Quantil City, the capital, and one of the only real solid urban areas on the planet. We're seeking a supposed expert on lens refraction, and a Qualish scientist, as if we could learn anything from alien scum. But eh, that's not for me to judge. Well, listen boys, I better go. I think we're about to head into a tavern where this scientist is supposedly hiding out. They're singing strange drinking songs inside, and my ears are twitching. Best get the blaster ready. If you're in the mid-rim, in the mood for some bad attitude, constant warfare, or adventure on the high seas, give Ando a visit. You might like it. Later, guys. Long live the Empire! Your friend, Commander Cody. Very nice of Commander Cody to stop by again here on the Order 66 podcast. Yar, matey, he did. Yar. Yar. Mm, Tasha, yar. <laughs> All right, so Duncan's in the car, and we're, we're driving back from uh from reaper yesterday with it was it was tg in the car and me and duncan and tenny and we got into a conversation about star trek and uh duncan regales with the fact that his favorite next generation episode ever was um yesterday's enterprise where they brought tasha yar back Mm, yes yes and i I mentioned the fact that you were a denise crosby fanatic so Uh, i'm not necessarily a denise crosby fanatic i'm a tasha yar admirer admirer Thank yeah, you. no, she's not. She's not on my list or anything. Like, remember, remember, Allie Larder. She went. I saw Obsessed, and she's yeah. back on my list again. Damn, she's that girl's on. hot. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Now, okay, so you saw Obsessed, and then you put her on the list? Yes. That'd be like putting Glenn Close on the list after watching Fatal Attraction. Why uh, would you do that? It just, no. Uh, well, okay, actions notwithstanding, you know, this is better better for a geek of palooza, but I don't care. Actions notwithstanding, she's hot. She's freaking hot. And the little teeth thing, you know, a little gap in her tooth in the middle, kind of like uh, oh, CSI girl that they killed. I forgot her name now. Doggone it. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Georgia, you know, Georgia Fox. Georgia Fox. Mm. Yeah. I didn't, for some yeah. reason, that just really makes them adorable and they have a little something wrong with their teeth. I'm going to I'm gonna go even older and say Lauren Hutton. Lauren Hutton. Hey, see, there's a, she's on my list, though. You know, anyway. <laughs> well, um, anyway. Okay, so I've taken up enough time and we'll do this. Twenty docking bay hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it. Yep. Okay. Fiddleback wants the gamer nation to know that Audrey Hepburn is on his list. So, she, dude, she, isn't, she, isn't, she, isn't she dead? I. You know, maybe he's a necromaniac. I don't know. Gross, fiddle. Gross. Questions. <laughs> That's gross, Captain Dodo. Okay. <laughs> Your questions submitted to the forums or by email. Please, please send more. D20radio.com slash forum or gmdave at d20radio.com. GM Chris at d20radio.com or call the loser line at 1-800-GET-A-LIFE. I'm sorry, no. <laughs> 206-600-5872. Anyway, Very nice. okay, so here we go. Question number one. Off the bat. Vendasora. Vendasora has a couple of questions about phase power. Oh, hey, maybe I can turn on the the phasing here on the mic and read the whole question that way. What do you think? <laughs> I think he's got several questions about it. So Okay, yeah. all right. Question number one. Number one. Number one. If you're standing next to a wall and an enemy phases through the wall into the square next to you based on the situation in front of you... Do you get an attack of opportunity? Good question. Um, now, per the raw of Endosaur, attack of opportunities are provoked when a foe move, when a foe um, exits a threatened square. Right. Okay, this is why this is why a foe moving through your threatened space provokes because he's left a threatened area and obviously is still threatened. Interestingly, that's not actually what's happening with phase. At least not in the situation you described. Okay, if I have a character phase through a wall next to me. The only time I ever threatened it was when it moved into the square directly in front of me. I, I can't threaten a wall. Right. So in your example, I would say no. They never left a threatened square when they phase next to you. So Now, if the character moved past me after phasing in next to me, that would be an attack opportunity. Yeah. So. I would tend to agree with that. Yeah, makes sense. All right. So question number two. About phase. About phase, yes. It says, can you phase and withdraw at the same time, if not in the same action, in the same turn? Question mark. For example, a PC has dark has a dark Jedi pinned in a corner. So Dark Jedi Boy wants to phase and withdraw through the wall to escape. Does the PC get an attack of opportunity? I would I would say, you know. Anyway. What would you say? Whoa. Sorry. That's a 
Oh, I'm just all I'm just all discombobulated here. I left my phone sitting next to the mic, so I hope you all didn't hear that. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, it is a, it is a withdrawal, and I would say uh, no, no AOO for you, but you know, no soup for you. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. Again, you're you're leaving a threatened area. So, um, I mean, and to to clarify that question of Endosaur, all all phase does is give you a modified movement speed, and the power actually goes so far as to call out that you can move that speed as part of the move action needed to activate the power. So activating phase and moving two squares with it would all be one single move action. And since it's just a modified form of movement, then yeah, you could withdraw with it. Withdrawal is just a type of a move action. Simply cut your speed in half and prevents AOOs. So in the above example, I could withdraw one square and withdrawal does not provoke an attack of opportunity. Yes, Bob, indeed. Bob, boy. Yeah. Thank you very much, Howard Stern. Okay. Sebastian <laughs> emailed us a bevy. Seb- Sebastian. A bevy of questions coming from Sebastian this week. He writes, I have a few questions based on the Clone Wars campaign book. Somehow I don't think Sebastian talks like Omer Pyle, but that just, you know, um, that's just me. Okay, maybe he doesn't. <laughs> but he says, First off, double agent, the talent from page 22, it says, enemy does not consider you an enemy. If, what? I don't know what the hell that actually is. It says that the enemy does not consider you an enemy. If you then use persuasion, what penalty do you receive? And if you are successful, what level are they at? Question. Is it temporary? That's another question. If I had to rule it, I would allow the persuasion and state that it sends the enemy back down to hostile if you attack him or his friends. Okay. All right, so double agent talent says that the enemy doesn't consider you an enemy if you use that talent. Precisely. Yeah. And I mean, considering that, I think it's a fair ruling, Sebastian. Um, the text for double agent specifies that, first of all, it's a mind-affecting effect, and that it ends if you attack or otherwise harm or hinder the target or his allies. But it doesn't mention at all that the target's, at, at a target's attitude has changed. Okay. Now, it makes sense that a target who is no, no longer considers you an enemy doesn't have a hostile attitude towards you. But the text also says the target still doesn't consider you a friend. Okay. So in other words, it's, you're not an enemy, but you're not exactly a friend. To me, that equates to indifferent on the attitude scale. Yeah. Um, at, the, at the worst, unfriendly. Meaning that a, a successful persuasion check would make one indifferent or friendly, uh, but I, I would immediately rule that you would uh, that that foe would go hostile and the effect would end upon an attack by you um, or your allies. Kind of was what's stipulated in the, the talent. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that because nothing says I'm not indifferent to you any longer than a lightsaber in your gut. Pretty much, yeah. That kind of ruins a good relationship right there. Yeah, kind of does. So, secondly, okay. The Droid Hunter feed on page 29, he says. It's a cool feed. This is more of a GM question, but if you have a PC with his feet fighting a replica droid and they fail a perception check, they <laughs> would not get the benefit of the talent. Correct, Amundo? I'm guessing this is similar to the dark side sidebar added to the core rule book. Okay, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with that ruling. Now, th- there's been no official ruling on this, but the feet... From page 29 simply says that basically you do extra damage when you're fighting a droid. Okay, it doesn't say anywhere on the feet that you need to be aware that it's a droid. <laughs> okay, now, th- now that may seem a bit odd, but I would argue that the point of the feet is that you modify your fighting style in a way that it deals extra damage to droids. That fighting style will remain the same whether you're fighting a human, a droid, or a droid that you don't know is a droid. 
So that's my role-playing mm, fluffy explanation for it. Mechanical explanation is don't neuter the feet like that. <laughs> neuter? <laughs> yeah, which is pretty much what it does. Oh, sorry, this feet's useless. You didn't know it was a droid. I mean, seriously, if you're going to say that, I could take a droid, throw a cloak on it, and have it make a deception check, and all of a sudden, what, the feet's no longer valid because I didn't know it was a droid? Mm. It's, it opens it up to, for too much shenanigans for my taste. So I, I'm going to say the feet doesn't say otherwise. I say let the damage go. Right. Let, 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 you know, it's, okay. It's like an extra two points. Okay. And shenanigatry is not going to be tolerated. Okay. Correct. Third question I have. It comes in regard to the, to the Bendagora and mm. the Believer's Force Traditions. Both of these state that the belief doesn't mind dabbling in the dark side or that they embrace the dark side. Mm. Both have a dark side score of one as a prerequisite. My question comes from whether using one of these talents should earn a PC a dark side point. I'd say no immediately because it doesn't say so. Anyway, I normally only grant a DSP for actions, not talents. And these talents don't state that there is an automatic DSP. Oh, there you go. However, powers such as Sith Reverence are based heavily on the PC's dark side score. What is your opinion on this? I agree with you, man. I think it's a bit of a toughie. Uh, the rules are very vague on dark side point awarding, and in my opinion, for good reason. Heck yeah. Now, now we, we discussed this heavily in our dark side episodes. Um... I think it depends heavily on your GM and on the campaign. The raw, the rules as written, only calls out the use of dark side powers as a guaranteed way per the rules to earn a DSP. Okay, but you know, man, I don't know, Dave. If, if I was running like an intrepidly heroic light side slash Jedi game, I'd sure as heck give my player a DSP for using a dark side talent. Okay, but but there, there's there's the rub, man. I mean, aside from the talents from the dark side talent tree. What else is a dark side talent? Bandogora, Believers? Why? Just because they require you to be a little bit naughty to access them? Nope. Uh, not my I, I don't know. I don't know about that. So I'm going to fall back on the answer that I always give. Um, if it's not specifically called out in the rules, such as using powers with the dark side descriptor, then it's never the ability. It is the intent and the action. I mean, shoot, force slam and move object will garner you a DSP depending on how they're used. So a redirect shot for that matter, and that's a talent. So, I mean, do you see what I mean? Yeah. You can do just about anything in the game that'll get you DSP, even though it doesn't say it's going to give you DSP. Yeah, so I mean, and that, that, that's what's most important. And quite frankly, if somebody is is taking a Bandogora or a Believer talent or a Dark Side talent, they're probably using it in a very naughty way, Absolutely. and the way in which they use it is probably going to garner them a Dark Side point regardless. Yeah, so. That's right. It's just like the way Chris uses, you know, and winds up giving people chlamydia. There's just he doesn't mean to, but it's a DSP regardless. You didn't have to go there. So anyway, all right, so. Tarong Jedi has the next question about starship combat. Oh, this is a good one. Yeah, he writes. My players ran into an odd problem a few weeks ago during space combat. Their ship is a Citadel-class cruiser from Starships of the Galaxy, which mounts a tractor beam as a pilot-controlled weapon. Several hey. TIE fighters engaged them in a dogfight, and the pilot of the Citadel eventually managed to succeed on the skill check to attack in the dogfight and chose to fire the tractor beam to deny one of the TIE fighters its dex bonus. So the gunner running the laser cannon could hit it with burst fire. Yeah. Okay. The attack damaged the TIE fighter but did not disable it. On its following turn, the TIE, the TIE fighter will be unable to move. Tractor beam, yes. Okay. So does the paralyzed TIE fighter fall out of the dogfight? If so, when? Would other ships be able to take advantage of its lack of dex bonus? And, since it can't move, it really doesn't make sense for the TIE to be able to use either the dogfight action on its turn, um, either of their uh, dogfight actions on the turn. If it stays in the dogfight, however, the TIE pilot's going to be required to make pilot rolls. Should it 
just have an effective pilot result of zero when something when someone wants to attack or escape from him? You know, what's that about? And uh, if he wants to use, uh, what if he wants to use vehicular dodge? I had to make a ruling on the spot, so I decided that Ty remained in the dogfight long enough for the Citadel's gunners to take their shots, then got left behind. Well, first and foremost, congrats for making a ruling on the spot. Um, <laughs> sorted out after the facts. That's after the fact. By, you know, like posting on our forums or emailing us here at the Ultra 66 Podcast. Yeah. Um, okay, this is a really good question, Dave, that no one's really taken a reasonable crack at yet. So first, let's talk about the raw, and then, and then you know, Tarong, I'll get to my suggestions for you. Tractor beams are covered in the core rulebook, page 174, which clarifies that basically a tractor beam is tantamount to a ranged grapple with an insta-pin if it hits. Okay, Per the raw, the only thing that happens to a tractor beamed ship is that it can't move, i.e. it can't leave it square on its own, and it loses any dex bonus to reflex defense. That's it. The tractoring of a ship, uh, if the same size or larger, can move the smaller ship towards it each round. But in a dogfight, that can't happen anyway, because both ships are stuck to their squares because they're in a dogfight. And those squares are adjacent to each other anyway because they're in a dogfight. So, you know, so. Here's my other problem with the whole scenario, Tarong. How did a Citadel-class cruiser get involved in a dogfight? Per the dogfighting rules as written on page 171 of the core rulebook, only starfighters can engage in a dogfight. Now, with combat thrusters, the modification, page 40 of Starships of the Galaxy... It might be able to, but a stock Citadel cruiser does not have combat thrusters. Okay, so aside from that, though, okay, what if somebody outside the dogfight tractor beamed a dogfighty? Okay, well, following the rules as written, that would pull the ship one step, one square closer to it, necessitating yanking it out of the dogfight. Um, they should choose to simply—I mean, should they choose to simply hold it there, you know, and not move it closer? You know, maybe playing pinata. The raw says it's still in the dogfight, but as a, a GM running it. To me, that makes absolutely no sense. I would move the targeted ship out of the dogfight immediately. It just, it just makes sense. I mean, you're, you, can't, you can't fly around. You're stuck in a tractor beam. You shouldn't be able to engage in dogfight. That would end the dogfight action for me. Now, as for vehicular combat um, and similar abilities, I would still allow them, if only for game balance reasons. It makes a tractor, a hideous, uh, tractor beam a hideous I-win button. Just because I can't move out of my square doesn't mean I can't jiggle around within my square on the end of that tractor beam, getting out of the way of attacks, stuff like that. So, I think a reasonable house rule would be to subtract the ship's dex bonus from the pilot check, though. So, if, if you don't, you know, if, if you want to have the tractor beam place, make some impact on, uh, you know, on, on, on vehicular combat and stuff like that. I don't know, man. What do you think? I mean, seriously, if, if two ships are dogfighting and you tractor beam one of them, I mean, should should it end the dogfight? I mean, I mean, yeah, well, uh, I think by definition, if you pull it out of the square, it's in it, the dogfight's over. But yeah, of course. But what if you hold it there in its square? Because you can do that. I think it's just at that point it becomes, um, you know, wolves to the meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Very so, true. Yeah, and that's it. So, Easy as ter- that. Terribly effective. <laughs> okay, so we apparently have a question by voicemail. Goody! I love this. Indeed. Dear GM Dave and GM Chris. It seems Palpatine was so successful during the Purge because the Jedi weren't trained to do anything but swing their lightsabers. With training and use of force, a Jedi has only one discretionary skill, usually spent on acrobatics. NPC stat blocks seem to rely on being high level to make sure checks pass, but PCs don't have that luxury. Jedi of the New Republic often came to the temple after learning another profession. They could be taught 
a lightsaber, but there's no catching up to all Even Soldier, the closest mechanically to the Jedi base class, has three skills and four feats. As a GM, I've run two campaigns set during the Clone Wars and the Legacy comics, and have never had a PC start as a Jedi. I'm considering giving a bonus skill or feat at level one. During the Clone Wars, Force training is reasonable from the cartoons, martial arts one during the New Jedi Order, and perhaps Galactic War for a Kator game. Have you considered house ruling the Jedi base class to give a little more incentive to start play as a Jedi? This is Jedi Master Gunner, and I never listen to the Order Order 66 podcast. Yeah. We're too busy planning our assault on Darth Karnos. I forgot about that part. Yeah, nobody uh, else listens to the Order 66, Order the, the what? How did he mess that one up? The Order podcast? <laughs> I never it listened was a to good, the order. It podcast. was a good question, Gunner. Thank you for sending it into us. No, it was a good question, dude. It's the mutual mutual attribute dependency or whatever it is we talk about sometimes. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, first of all, I don't think Jedi are are. I mean, to say they only have two skills to choose from assumes one that they're not human, and two that they only have a ten intelligence. Now, again, mutual attribute dependence, as you say, mad. Um, Jedi often have intelligence as a dump stat because to use the Force well and swing a lightsaber well, you got to have pretty much, you know, three or four skills. Four abilities, abilities yeah. very high. Yeah. Um, now, my my first reaction is to say, okay, well, no, just pump intelligence, and you know what? Wow, you don't have a wisdom of fourteen, or maybe you only have a charisma of ten. In other words, you're not a super boss force user. Not every Jedi was, um, or maybe you can't swing a lightsaber worth a damn. But uh, I don't know. Mini, mini soapbox time. Gunner, for me, this is an issue of realism versus game balance. The fact that Jedi get so few skills is about the only negative aspect the class has you say you want to offer incentives for people to play first level jedi i have never had to incent a player to play a first level jedi have you dave never (laughs) um to, to 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 do so would in my opinion imbalance what is already commonly considered the most no brainer class in the game um but i do have a few comments to make uh first you don't see low-level Jedi in Star Wars doing skillful things very often. This is why Padawans shut the heck up and they let their masters negotiate with their planetary leader, strategize, or what have you, because they have that half-level bonus to make a decent skill check. Um, but again, that's a straight Jedi. Okay, Now, way back, Dave, help me out on this, way back in Episode 2, I made it known that my preferred Jedi build never ever starts with a level in Jedi. Right. I, I would also... I yeah. Go ahead. Nothing I was saying. I remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, there you go. I, I also remind you not to confuse the name of a class with the label of a Star Wars icon. Being a Jedi doesn't mean having all or any levels in the actual Jedi class. Sith have straight levels in the Jedi class. Okay? A pure noble, noble 12, who happened to pick up force sensitivity and lightsaber proficiency along the way and is a member of the Jedi tradition, is still a Jedi. I wish that they'd named the class lightsaber force dude instead of Jedi. It would have just made things easier. (laughs) Um, But, okay, as for giving bonuses to the Jedi in your games, I seriously discourage it. Instead, encourage the player to take their first level on another class. Okay, they could have been raised in the Jedi Order from birth. And that could still be the case. So, I don't know, man. What What are your thoughts? How do you? I mean, do you think? What, what do you think about the power creep of the Jedi? 
It's doesn't need. It's nothing that needs to be encouraged. That is for certain. Yeah. You start giving them extra stuff, you're gonna have to take something away. If you get somebody who wants to be a skill monkey, fine. You know, tell them to dump strength and become a dex fighter later. There's a feat for it. Absolutely. So you know, there is. There's always a way to get around that. Yeah, I mean, I can I can pepper a single level in noble. Go for um, noble fencing, which lets you use your charisma with a, a lightsaber. Yeah, there pizza. you go. And I could I could be a monkey that has incredibly high intelligence, incredibly high wisdom, charisma, and still end up being a magnificent lightsaber user and a great force user who is skillful. Right. You just don't get <laughs> double your strength bonus when you become a dex fighter. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah. I, I I don't know. That that's just that's just my take on it, sir. I mean, obviously in your game, if, if all your players are playing Jedi, now this is where it could come in problem. If all your players are playing Jedi, and I know that the first few games that you and I played together, everybody in the party wanted to be a Jedi. And it turns out we had no one who could do mechanics worth of crap. We had no used right. computer. We had no persuasion. We had no deception, no stealth, um, no knowledge, nothing. It was just you guys didn't know or how to do anything. That is a separate issue. I mean, yeah. maybe. But even then, I would still encourage your players just to start with the first level on something else. We, just, we sucked. Yeah. At low levels, yeah. That's just unless unless you were fighting something. Yeah, that's just the way it goes, man. That is just the way it goes. Okay, so good question. Um, yes, very good questions. Thank you all. Please send more questions, of course, to us via all those channels I mentioned earlier. Thank you very much. So, did you get a chance to go to Tatooine? Because I did not. Oh well, I certainly did get a chance to go to Tatooine. Wow! I brought back something spiffy. Diffy and Magnanimous. Hey, welcome to Wattles. This is Watto for Watto's Bargain Basement, and I want you to come on down to Tatooine this week for our big special sale. Tell them Java sent you, and you get a free chance cube. We got the deals for you. Come on down to Watto's Bargain Basement. What do you know? Hmm. So, where'd you find us? I have in my hand, sir, a Tecla blade. Ah, is that that little, um, little vibro thingy? Yes. A weapon very common to the Nagai. Um, it's actually a rather vicious little vibro weapon. Um, uh, it's 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 so unusual that it's actually exotic. Um, unless of course you're a nagai, then it's not exotic. <laughs> um, but here's what I like about this man. This is a very 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 cool weapon. First of all, it's tiny. I mean, literally, that's its size. It's tiny, meaning that you know it. it you get massive bonuses to conceal it and stuff like that. It only weighs half a kilo, but it deals. Two die six of damage. A tiny melee weapon that deals two die six of damage. And it causes vicious bleeding wounds. So that, like, I love this feature. If I make an attack roll with it, and it beats the reflex defense to obviously hit the target, but that attack roll also beats the fortitude defense of the target, the target will bleed for an additional one die six of damage the following round. That's insane. That's awesome. That, that means that a good hit can deal three die six of total damage with a tiny melee weapon. Yeah, that's what I'm right. saying. That's insane. Damage, the damage done for the, size, for the size of the weapon is incredible. It's uh, fantastic. And again, it's a tiny weapon. It weighs only half a kilo. Therefore, it's massively easy to conceal. And you can carry a dozen of them in a bandolier. Indeed. Indeed. Which is 
Phenomenal. So the Tecla Blade is awesome, and I can't wait to trick out a Nagai warrior who throws them uh, in multitudes. That would be lovely. That would be kind of <laughs> cool. So it's the Tecla Blade, and thank you, Watto, for selling me one another. A little hard to come by. So he said he missed you, man. He wanted to know where you've been recently. Something about uh, gambling winnings? I'm not sure. Oh, I don't know what he's talking about. I actually have no idea. Okay. I'll deny every word of it. It's my story, and I'm sticking to it. So, All right, we've come to the point in our program where we will check in with Alex and Trevor for Fragments from the Rim, and we will see you guys on the other side of well, that. Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments from the Rim. How may we be of service to you today? Hi, this is Alex and Trevor. Is segment 13 of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen to look at a soldier talent, which is called Counterpunch. You'll find it on page 18 of the Scum and Villainy sourcebook. It says that when you fight defensively, any adjacent creature that attacks you provokes an opportunity from you. I'm just thinking of a way to use this. A high dexterity character with acrobatics, so that they get the extra benefit of fighting defensively, then throw in combat reflexes, which gives them more attacks of opportunity because of their high dexterity, then have that character leaping into the front of combat, gathering in amongst a whole bunch of enemies so that they're going to receive the major part of the attacks with their reflex defense a little, quite a bit higher because they're fighting defensively, and then dishing out a whole series of these counterpunch attacks of opportunity. Now, granted, their chances to hit are going to be rather poor because they are fighting defensively, but conceivably you could draw off a lot of the opposition from attacking your fellow opponents because you're such an obvious target. Well, that's my thought for this segment. Over to you, Trevor. And today I'd like to give the Scum and Villainy book a certain amount of praise. And that is based on the fact that the chapters 6 and 7, which are the last two chapters of the book, starting at page 159 and ending at 221, are devoted entirely to adventures and a mini-campaign. And the reason I'd like to put praise on this is because the one thing that Star Wars seems to have a dearth of is published modules or published adventures. To my understanding, other than what's in this book for Saga Edition, there's one Knights of the Old Republic module, the Iridonian Darkness, which is up on the uh, Wizards of the Coast website if you go looking for it, and the Dawn of Defiance campaign that they've created, which is a 10-module arc that takes your characters from, like, 1st to approximately 20th level, and it's set in the Rebellion era, or the slightly pre-Rebellion era. But other than that, there's nothing. The only way that you can play a module is if you have someone who's creative enough and skilled enough to to create their own module. And I know that my son uh, is playing this game with me, and I think that if he was to try to GM stuff without the guideline of what's in this book or as examples and ideas of what to make when you're making a scum and villainy adventure, I don't know if he'd even have a clue of where to start. I been playing role-playing games for a quarter of a century, and I'd be hard-pressed to simply throw something together without some sort of guideline or, or template to work from. So I was very, very pleased to see that, that they devoted 50 pages of this book, almost entire quarter of the book, to that purpose. It was unfortunate that in Starships of the Galaxy, they didn't decide to do the same thing with space combat ideas, and Alex and I have discussed 
offline. The idea that uh, had they have done in the Clone Wars campaign mini scenarios for battles, it would have been nice because then you could mix and match and, and pull ideas from and stuff like that. So here's hoping that the forthcoming Jedi Academy source book uh, has some and that the other source books that come as well have the appropriate uh, module component to them because I don't know how people like me, who don't have the time to create modules from scratch, would be able to enjoy this game without them. Anyways, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email Alex and I at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you, Masters, for visiting Fragments from the Rim. Okay, the excellent, excellent uh, segment, boys. And for those, of, for those of you who may not be aware, of course, if you would like more pre-made modules, um, because I agree, I, I think it's one of the greatest dirts of the system right now, um, you can, of course, head to d20radio.com. Uh, you can click the swag link, and you can find several modules that the Gamer Nation has posted up there. And, of course, we have a lot more coming. Again, our con modules, uh, good friend Duncan McEwen, Vader's son on the forums, uh, has his module for Origins that will be posted up free for download um, after Origins. And, of course, we're going to have two modules ready for Gen Con that are going to be played there. Uh, that will be uh, available after Gen Con as well. So I am very, very excited about that. And uh, again, if you guys have anything you want to share with the rest of the Gamer Nation, please email it to us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdavid at d20radio.com. We'll get your mod goodness up for people to share. Yep. And it's exciting. When good games go bad. All right, we have ourselves a good games go bad segment. Oh, boy. This time around, boys. And for such for such an occasion, you know, it's only appropriate that we have some really dark, dark music, you know. I'm, to, all, to, about, I'm all about that. <laughs> there you go. Darkness music right there. Very dark. Yeah. Really Very dark. dark. Oh, smoky. Even. It's, yeah, smoky. He doesn't like you. I don't like you either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> okay. Chat room's laughing at us. That's great. I love it. Okay. So, Noob GM Fuse posted up a new question for us this week. Okay. Okay. So, he has a player who is also his D and D three point five DM. Okay. Oh, yeah, exactly. Mm, immediately. 3.5 D&D. Mm. Well, I don't mind that, but the fact that he's, that this, he's, he's, he's the guy's DM in another system is what's getting me. Oh, okay. All right. He's using the 3.5 traits and flaws on his kill noble. <laughs> I am fine with this as where flaws were annoying little pieces of role-playing in 3.5. They can actually be downright debilitating in Star Wars Saga Edition. I'm unsure about when to talk about when to talk to my gamer about it. He still knows the system better than I do, and just knows D20 systems better than I do. So he can tend to get uppity when I try to put the GM pants on in places he normally wouldn't. I might add, be it to him or to any other players. All right, should I fire an air warning side because I think I've screamed at guys to say, "Don't be a freaking." No, actually, you know what? I'm going to say it. You are suffering, my friend, from vagitosis. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull. I'm, uh, 
We're gonna find oh. a we're gonna find a regime. We're gonna find a regime where your um you know your dingus needs to be, pal. You're the GM. I, I'm not gonna dog him too much. If he's a new GM, it can be very intimidating sometimes. Yeah, I suppose. But soap boxage, soap boxage, eminent. Okay. All right. And furthermore, Dave, do you know that Fuse later revealed that his player used the flaws system, which of course is not part of Saga, without even telling him he was going to use it. He just came to the table with his character statted out with that. Yeah. Okay. But Fuse said that he, I mean, he likes the choice his player made. He's just upset because he wasn't asked about it. Okay, dude. There's some words of fracking wisdom on the forums from both uh, uh, Vader's son and Zarissa about this. So I'm going to add my own as well. First of all, let's say this again. Dave, you want to say it with me? Um, okay. Y you are, are the, the GM. GM. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Thank if you. If you are running a game, your players don't have the right to get uppity or snarky with you about rules or anything else. You are making the effort to make the game and run it. It's your world. It doesn't matter if he knows the rules better. It doesn't matter if he's God's gift to D20. And you just learn what a D20 is. You are the GM, and your player needs to respect that. But... More importantly, you need to be comfortable with that. And this goes back to the comment Dave made at the very beginning here. <laughs> That's right. You need to get comfortable with the fact that it is your call and not be intimidated by your player's experience. Okay? If you're more comfortable and you take that role, your players will follow suit. Let me tell you about my good friends Brev and Tenny, all right, mm. hosts of Minis Mayhem. Both of those fine folks were introduced to this system less than a year ago. And in that time, Brev has turned into an excellent GM who has no problem with these facts. And let me tell you, as me, who I am, there are times when I'm playing at his table and I know the rules are not working the way he's making them work, or this, or that, or whatever, and usually, I don't say Jack. Why? Because it's Brev's freaking game, and I trust him to make it fun. And when I get excited and I forget that fact and I start rules lawyering, Brev has zero problem telling me politely that he's got it handled and it's his game. So I sit down, I shut up, and I enjoy it. Yep. Okay, Tenny started GMing his first game, Dave. And, I mean, he's only got a few sessions under his belt. But halfway through the first session, he made it known that he was the GM and that his decision was this and that was how it was going to be. I mean, and it, it, it changed the whole dynamic. It set the tone for the, the entire campaign in a wonderful way. It's not about having carefully worded arguments or a better understanding of the rules. It's about an expectation and a level of respect that comes with it. Tenny's attitude broached no argument. He wasn't a dick about it, but he made it known that he was the GM. All right. Can I tell you that these two fine GMs have made their sessions fun and memorable by refusing to let rules lawyering get in the way? When the time comes, they are the judge and jury, and the decision is made, done, okay? It's about an attitude and a friendly expectation. Yep. So if you find this to be a problem in your game, clear it up with the offending player privately. Don't call the guy out in public. Privately talk to him. Ask him, dude, why, why am I the one GMing this? I mean, do you, do you trust me to provide a fun game for you? Okay, if the answer is yes, which it probably will be, then explain that that's great. But to do that, this is what you need from him, okay? Now, off the soapbox, as for this specific behavior in question, 
what he did, you can't let this lie, man. Okay, even if you like the decision and you let it stand, you need to talk to your player about this. Again, privately. Let him know, look, man, I'm concerned that you altered the game mechanics without discussing it with, you know, your GM! <laughs> I like what you've done, but I want to make sure you consult me with anything you want to do in the future. See what he says to that. In my experience, sir, maybe I'm wrong, traits and flaws in a D20 system are commonly used to min-max the character to high hell. All right. Okay, what did he get for his flaw? So he took a flaw with no benefit, no extra feet, no nothing else like that? Here's another thought, and a good point that Zarissa brought up. If he didn't tell you about this, what else didn't he tell you about? Or won't tell you about? What creative math is on his sheet or retraining he decided to just go ahead and do? Stuff to think about, sir. Right. I don't know, man. Very much. I mean, aside, aside from, uh, you know, standing up and taking the GM hood, any, any words of wisdom you can offer? Um, yeah, I, I caught that. I caught that, little, um, I caught that little innuendo of yours. Such as? Such as, aside from standing up and taking the GM-dom, that's a shot at me for not having GM'd a game in the system yet. I know. I know. I know. Trust me, I know. You've been, you've been planning a campaign, man. When are we going to get it going? Huh? Oh, huh? Huh? dude, huh? yeah, about, about the same time, you know, as it takes for me to get all these modules that people send me posted, which I finally got a couple <laughs> of them posted. I just, you know. Man, real life just gets in my way way too bad sometimes. Oh, Stupid. by the way, in, in order to, uh, to cure your vagitosis, I believe they have a very oddly named medicine that I've seen on TV. It's called Asifex. Why <laughs> on earth you would name a medicine Asifex is beyond me. <laughs> Sounds like a hemorrhoid treatment of some sort. <laughs> hey, man, I just went down, oh, got me some Asifex. <laughs> Did you really? Oh my gosh! What is it like, Cartman? When he farts, you get the little thing in that first few episodes. The the, the flame out of his butt. Is that what happens with ass effects? No. Ass effects. Oh well, then <laughs> does it make it louder, more pungent, perhaps? Oh no, more efficient brownie bakes with the wife. Nope. All right, there's my thirty second commercial for ass effects. Ass effects by Milton Bradley, the game the whole family can play. Yeah, exactly, man. So, okay, so you know what? As we go forward into this beautiful segment that I like to call Storm Pooper Truetry, be it known that I believe that I have the right one this time. And so, for the first time in three episodes, it may entirely be possible that we will do this without an edit. And now, Stormtrooper Poetry. If you ever go up against a Jedi... Make sure you are more than red eye. Bring many grenades. Take more than one gun. But remember, always be ready to run. A friend of mine forgot this good advice. By the saber, eventually he was sliced. And now, sad to say, after all, in his own way, well, he's half the man he used to be. That's, uh, that's TK Stumpy to you. Don't forget it. Stormtrooper poetry. <laughs> Indeed. Lovely. TK Stumpy. Stumpy. Thank you very much, Fiddleback, for Stormtrooper poetry, which you can find on its own feed now, by the way, at stormtrooperpoetry.edu. <laughs> really? <laughs> You know what that means, don't you? Yeah, I, I think I do. It means that we're talking about 
prestige classes. The domination of prestige classes in the Force Unleashed. The domination of the prestige classes in the Force Unleashed. <sighs> well, tonight we're going to continue with our prestige class discussion with one of the classes in the Force Unleashed that is quite possibly the coolest prestige class in the book. Just the picture of the Bothan Infiltrator on page 46 sends images of secret agents, adventurers, spies, and cloak and dagger heroes gallivanting across the galaxy. The Infiltrator, Big D, is all about stealth and covert combat techniques. And uh, its abilities provide amazing covert capability to themselves and the teams they're a part of, which is very cool. Uh, with the exception of the more noble-esque prestige classes like Officer or Crime Lord, there are very few prestige classes that combine this level of skillful and martial ability along with the ability to help an entire party out. So, younglings, let's tiptoe through the darkness and turn our Force Unleashed campaign guides to page 48. And let's infiltrate the Infiltrator. Let's infiltrate the infiltrator. <laughs> I, I figured there was some bad jokes you could make about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess, man, but you know, I don't know. Well, you know that you know how I roll. Okay, <laughs> I know how you roll. Trust me, I know how you roll. But I think we need, uh, I think we need better music for. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna look for some better music. Oh, you do that. Meanwhile, while, while you're you do talking, that, I'm, I'm gonna talk about Bond. James Bond. <laughs> so let's talk about what it takes to become a double O in the Star Wars universe. Uh, what being an infiltrator gives you. Yeah? Okay. So the prerequisites, Dave. Let's talk about how to access this prestige class. So what would you guess is the minimum level requirement to get into this prestige class? Um, I don't know. Eight? Pretty much. Seven levels under your belt. Big freaking surprise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, train skills. you got to be trained in perception and stealth. Again, not very surprising for a spy. Um, now, although it's not required, I would highly recommend Gamer Nation not only being trained in, but also getting skill-focused gather info. And we'll get to why in a bit. Um, feats. you got to have skill-focused stealth. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Duh. Stealth. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Whatever. Again, though, I highly recommend also skill-focused gather info or skill-focused perception. Uh, martial arts is another good fit. We'll see why in a bit. Right. Uh, talents. you got to have at least two talents from the camouflage or the spy talent trees. Now, both of these talent trees belong to the scout. The scoot. Uh, the camouflage talent tree from page 49 of the core rulebook and the new spy talent tree from page 28 of the Force Unleashed campaign guide. So, that's it. But basically, there's a few things to consider here, right? You have to have at least three levels in Scout to enter this prestige class. Um, one of the things I loved about the Force Unleashed campaign guide is that it positioned the Scout to take the role of the Spy, um, a role normally taken up by the Scoundrel. Uh, now, as we'll quickly see, half the talents in this prestige class deal with making really good gather info checks. And gather info is not a class skill for a Scout. Mm. You might thus be tempted to take a level or two in Scoundrel or Noble, and this is not a bad way to go. But I like one other option even better. And that option is the Informer feat. Page 33 of the Force Unleashed campaign guide. Informer lets you use perception to make gather info checks. And we'll see how all that ties together in a bit. 
So the basics, Dave. You're coming out of secret agent training. What does being an infiltrator give you on a basic, basic level? Um, base attack bonus? Yeah. Yeah. It's a poor BAB. It's a meh. It's very meh. Love the music, by the way. <laughs> no it's problem. It's meh. All right. It's a poor base attack bonus. I mean, despite the moderate combat abilities of the prestige class, you're, you're, you're not a warrior. Okay, so that makes sense. Defenses, though, you do get a plus four to your reflex defense and plus two to will. All right? A spy is fast and mentally tough. Makes right? sense, right? Yes. Hit die. Yeah. It's, it's the same as a scout, okay? You're not squishy, but you're not a combatant either. Yeah, and, oh, right. in the chat, Ganthet is saying you only need two levels of scout. No, Ganthet, you need three because you got to have two talents. Therefore, talent need three. talent. Yeah. Correct. Um, okay. Unarmed stun. I love this. The infiltrator does not have one even level ability. They have two. This is the first, and it's gained its second level. You can now choose to deal stun damage with your unarmed strike. Were you aware that you couldn't deal stun damage with your unarmed strike, even if you wanted to? Yeah, I think I was, but I didn't really know until we started talking about this class and the badassery you can do with your bare hands. Pretty much. Um, and, I mean, it was a holdover from RCR, um, as well as old D&D, that the fact that you could choose to do you know, non-lethal or lethal with your, with your unarmed strike, but you know, you actually you can't, not in this system, so you got to have this to do it, you know, basically. But, okay, so... You can now choose to deal stunning damage with your unarmed strike. Uh, and when you do, Dave, you deal an extra die of stun damage with your unarmed strike. At 6th level, this becomes an extra 2 dice of stun damage and an extra 3 dice at 10th level. So, Dave, that means that a medium-sized infiltrator with martial arts 3 will be dealing 4 die 10 of stun damage at 10th level with his fists. Woohoo, baby! Uh, you pepper in a uh, level of elite trooper for maybe some Terrace Kasi basics. You're looking at 5d10. All right. Freaking love it. Also, there's lead infiltrator. Uh, is gained at fourth level, and it's one of my favorite abilities in the prestige class. Basically, how, Dave, how many times have we played and one person is the stealth monkey and the party's trying to sneak and you have the guy wearing the armor make a terrible stealth check and get everybody found out? Yeah, that happens. That happens, happens. all the time all the time no more with lead infiltrator you can make stealth checks for other people a number of allies equal to uh, in line of sight equal to your charisma modifier you make a stealth check basically for your entire party so you're stealthing them and at eighth level you double the number of people you can affect with this right i think that's freaking awesome a single infiltrator can sneak an entire party past people uh that's just incredibly useful so i i happen to like that and since you've got training and skill focus and stealth, right? I mean, you, you're what? What? At, 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 you know, earliest, at early levels. I mean, by the time you get this at, at fourth level, I mean, you're, you're looking at, um, you know, 11 levels. So you're looking at a, a plus five. So you're looking at, at least a plus 15, right? Yeah. I mean, better if you had a, a decent dex. So, I mean, I think it's a marvelous ability. Okay, so now when you and I talked about this class earlier, we talked about just kind of the really badass combat abilities you can do with it. Um, so I like to call this segment Cloak and Dagger, or rather Cloak and... Stun Baton. Baton. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? There you go. Jane, show me a uh, cloak. Baba Booey. 
All right, so th there's there's two great talent trees that live in the Infiltrator, and they're both very excellent, but one is highly social. The other is more encounter-based. So let's get into those, okay? The first talent, sir, is... In... Always ready. Well, yes, always ready. Always Part of ready. The infiltrator. Whoa! Dang! The fireworks? What was that? I have no idea what that was, dude. If you're playing Peter Gunn, that's probably, you know, the shots. No, 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 no. It 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 was blues for Doctor No coming off of um, James uh, Bond, and the volume was set to one of one hundred. I would hate to know exactly how the hell that loud would that would be if I if I had it on one hundred. <laughs> Me too. Jeez. Well, I think it's a, I think it's appropriate. <laughs> well, I I <laughs> I guess, but you always have to be ready for snafus such as. <laughs> I think TDR Starfish already named the episode. Episode 65, Random Slugs. Bam, Random Slugs. I love it. Oh, wow. Oh, God. All right, the infiltration talent tree <laughs> and the always ready talent. Now, this talent tree is about infiltration, getting in, getting out, remaining, remaining a silent machine of death. And always ready is pretty freaking cool. Okay, you got to be trained in initiative for this. And that makes sense. So... What this talent does, it makes readied actions mean diddly squat for you, at least in terms of the consequences of them. So, okay, you, you know how this works, man. When, when you ready an action, okay, and then that ready action goes off, it rearranges your place in the initiative order, right? That's correct. Not anymore. What? <laughs> That's what always ready does. Mm. Going first in initiative is very, very, very useful. Oh, Often yeah, that's because true. Huh? Yeah, it is. I mean, well, dude, for for a skilled combatant, okay, for a good player, it allows you to prepare for an enemy properly by readying an action. But usually, after you've done that, that awesomely high initiative is now wasted. This talent keeps you at the top of the round where you originally were. So, I think that's freaking awesome. It's like improved delay almost is what it makes a readied action. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think the uses for it are tremendous. Yeah. Okay. And I'd agree with that. Ex excellent for any combatant. Yeah. Now, next up, sir, is. We have the Concealed Weapon Espert. It's Espert. like totally, totally, totally awesome, dude. You know what Actually, it does? Yeah. You know what it does? What's it do? That when you are uh, wielding your fists as a weapon, a holdout blaster, vibro dagger, or any you know other small little concealable weapon, like a Tecla blade, for example. Like a Tecla blade? Yeah. Yeah, baby. You can use a swift action to re-roll. One attack per round. I mean, re-roll an attack. Dude. That's stupid. That's great. So that's, if, for that's, a martial artist, that's, that's almost like broken. broken. For a martial artist, <laughs> Dude, it's broken. Yeah. Wow. That's freaking awesome. Um, God. Okay. Next talent in the tree I love. Cool talent. Okay. Called Creeping Approach. Picture, Dave, that scene where the ever-ready guard is standing watchful. Weapon ready eyes oh, scanning yes. for a threat i love this one and the spy just sneaks up behind him the guard seemingly oblivious to the sap he takes to the back of the head right yep i, I love it as a swift action you pick a foe within 12 squares that you're hidden from until your next turn he may not make perception checks to notice you even if you enter his line of sight <laughs> you just he just can't oh sorry i i don't notice you um you got to be trained in stealth for that. Duh. 
and it ends if you are an ally attack the guy. But what a versatile talent. I mean, not just for the sneak attack, but like for getting past open areas with no cover or concealment. I mean, literally, you could you know activate this and just run across an open room as long as you were hidden beforehand. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know, dude. I think that's brilliant. I love it. Mm-hmm. So, dude. highly, highly useful. Yeah. What's the next talent in the tree? Uh, this would be set for stun. It allows you to use stun weapons like really, really good. So really, really good? Really, really good. <laughs> so, like, spend two swift actions in one round, and you activate set for stun. So, okay. what does that mean? That means that the next ranged stunning attack you make, if you beat the foe's damage threshold, it will take them three steps down the conditions track instead of two. Holy crap. Is that pretty good? Mm. That's You could knock someone out in two rounds. Yeah, exactly. And so, or what if you have double attack? Well, it takes two swifts to activate it. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I take that back. Yeah, it would, it would be two rounds. Yep. Oh, so. oh, oh, but, 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 accelerated strike. Uh, the feat from KOTOR allows you to make a full attack as a standard action once in encounter. Oh. We use that on Saturday. So you combine that with set for stun, and you can, you know, just carry around a couple of, you know, stunning pistols and just boom, boom, and you're going. Another great one for this man, the Bothan weapon template from, uh, 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 from Scum and Villainy. Yeah. Um, it, it basically it's uh, allow, it adds an extra die of stunning damage on a we- on a weapon that does stunning. Oh, so man. that's brilliant. Gah, I love it. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Well, the last talent talent in this tree is silent takedown, um, or what I like to call the throat punch. <laughs> you got to be. This is so infiltrator. You got to be trained in stealth. But when you attack a foe that's unaware of you, they can't speak or make any other noises until the end of your next turn. All right, so literally over a full round. In conjunction with creeping approach, that's fantastic. So you sneak up on the guy. He has no idea you're there. You punch him in the throat so he can't scream out, and you got pretty much another round to deal with him. <laughs> right. So it, it's like, what's that uh, Senpai Kohai movie, you know, with Sean Connery and... And Wesley Snipes, it's like Rising oh, uh, Sun. Rising Sun. Yeah, Rising Sun, where the guy is walking up this giant guy. He's like, I'm trained to black belt in three disciplines. Of course you are, dear. <laughs> Puts his thumb in this, the guy's throat. Exactly. Takes him down. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. And I find that ironic that Sean Connery is the one who did that, considering you know we're also talking about you know the double O's of the Star Wars Bond. universe. Here. The only James Bond, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I don't know. Daniel Craig's giving him a run for his money. Uh, Daniel Craig's all right, but John, I mean, Connery is Bond. Connery I would is agree. Bond. Roger Moore is a good Bond too, but Connery uh, never was a Moore fan. Was you know, for, Bond. For, okay? For, well, for me, Moore will always be the Saint. But I remember watching the Saint television show on PBS when I was a little kid. Um, so, <laughs> to me, you, you know, Val Kilmer is always a Saint. So I, you know, whatever. To each their own. Uh, so are we going to talk about the Bothan Spinet talent tree now? Is that where we're we at? Oh, we can. Yeah, that's the second tree in the prestige class. Um, dude, I, I, you know you know, I love Bothans. You know I love the Spinet. Spinet, for me, is a staple of Star Wars cool. And oh, it's also yeah. what put Bothans on the map. So, Heck yeah. I'm Many Bothans that. died. I mean, hell, this was in the very first episode that came out. No, actually, it was on the... That was that line was from Return of the Jedi. Oh, it was. I'm lying. You're, you're uh, right. Ooh, boop, boop. Yeah, but yes. still, still, still. OG. OG Star Wars right there, okay? Many Bothans died to bring us this information. 
So the spy net, for those of you who don't know, is a, it's, a, it's a force of spies and infiltrators um, used by many governments, by the wealthy, by the powerful. The spy net represents the best intelligence force in the galaxy, run by the Bothans. And it, it is best to be a Bothan to gain access to this tree, uh, but the rare non-Bothan can't end up in the spy net. Um, so we'll talk about that. Um, so, okay, the first talent in this tree, Dave, is, is spy net agent. It's the basic talent of the tree, and although it's the last talent in the book, I want to talk about it first because it's a prerequisite for every other talent in the tree. Right. Okay. Basically, what it does for you, what you know is not as important as what you can find out. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that. And what it basically lets you do is you can use your gather info modifier to make knowledge galactic lore checks, which I think is really flavorful. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't know it. But I can find out. <laughs> yeah, very easily. That's great. I, I know people who know it. Now, to take this talent, though, you either have to be a Bothan or you have to already have two talents from the infiltration talent tree. In other words, you're already a seasoned infiltrator and at least an 11th level character. Right, yeah. So That makes sense, you, you know. But you have to be a Bothan yeah. to be able to take it. Yeah. Either that. that or... You know, so, in other words, you have to be a Bothan or you have to have already proved to the spy net that you're a decent you're, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like that you're on the level of a normal Bothan. Right, so, right. Well, what's the next talent in this tree? Okay, Bothan Resources. So, as an agent of Spynet. Spynet. This is before it gains sentience and attacks all the humans. <laughs> You've got access to the best stuff. I mean, the <laughs> best stuff. <laughs> okay. So, with a DC-20, gather information check, you may purchase standard equipment at a 50% discount. Dang. Okay, get this. And exotic and restricted gear and transport services at 75% of the going rate. So you get a 25% haircut there, you know? So 50% discount on standard stuff, 25% discount on exotic, restricted, and any transport services you require. Beyond that, that's that's insane. It's already made Bothan sale here at the Jedi Outlet whatever thing. Uh, now, now, okay, now, this is where I, I do want to talk about this, though. We talked about using the infiltrator feat to use perception to make gather information checks. One of the Bothan abilities is the fact that they get skill-focused gather information for free if they're trained in it. So if you're going Bothan, I would definitely do that. If you're non-Bothan, though, going into this route, I think it would be better to take that infiltration talent. That way you don't have to double up on your trained skills. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Since you got to be trained in perception anyway to get into this. So. Okay, the next talent, dude, is so flavorful. I love it. It's called Six Questions. The infamous six questions technique of the Bothans. You know, gleaning as much information as possible from only asking someone a, a few questions. Basically, you make a knowledge galactic lore check as a swift action against a DC of 15 plus the target's uh, CL. Success, and you immediately learn the target's level, what classes they have, what their ability scores are, and the number of available force points and destiny points they have. Dude, that's almost broken. That is freaking awesome! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and also, keep in mind, Knowledge Galactic Lore Check, Spynet Agent, you can use Gather Info to make Knowledge Galactic Lore Check. So in reality, you're making your Gather Info check to do this. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> BBEG, no more. Well, it's one thing. It's like, he has no destiny points. Really? Destiny point to crit. I just, oh, man. <laughs> yep. That's a GM nightmare right there, man. The usefulness for that for an entire party in combat is fantastic. Big time. Okay. What's next? So, knowledge is life. Ah, uh, the first of the three knowledge That's talents. That's right. There are three knowledge talents. This one is uh, uh, when you make a uh, knowledge galactic 
Galore check as a swift action. This is DC 15 plus the target CL. Um, and you gain a plus two morale bonus to the defensive to the defense score of your choice against the target for the rest of the encounter. So, I mean, this is DC 15 plus the target's character level. And you're probably maxed out on your gather info or galactic lore um, at that yeah, point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you are, yeah, you know. So I mean, basically, yeah, you walk in knowing you're going to get a plus two morale bonus. You know, to the defense. And that's just that's just a swift action. Yeah, yeah. So you can use it on multiple targets. Yeah, I I'm, guess theoretically you could. Yeah, it doesn't say you're limited to one. So I mean, it it you know, oh my God. you don't need to so, make. I mean, you, you're you're not making a galactic lore check thanks to your spinet agent. You know. Your yeah, game. you're making the gather, gather info check info. instead. Yeah, that's it. Easy And as so that. every every round, I could spend my swift and do this, and just gain plus two against somebody else on the battlefield. Right. That is freaking awesome. Yeah. So many times your swift actions are wasted at the end of your turn. I. Know, that's an excellent point. You know. Uh, I mean, seriously, we saw that on Saturday. It's like, all right, you got to move into swift left. All right, I move, and I don't do anything with my swift. Yeah. Exactly. Well, the next one, of course, knowledge is power. All right, which is kind of the same as above with Knowledge is Life, except instead of a plus two morale bonus to your defense score, you add one to your critical threat range against the target. So instead of critting on a natural 20, you would crit on a 19 to 20 against that target. Oh, dude. Or, or if you already have improved critical or vapid, it would be at 18 to 20. <laughs> dude, man, that's... <laughs> Isn't that great? All right, so uh, in other words, I'll be making a Bothan or a Nagai infiltrator. <laughs> No joke, man. And what's the what's the last talent in the tree? Uh, it's knowledge is strength, and uh, just like the other two, this uh, will uh, uh, the ex the exception here is that it provides plus two morale bonus to attack rolls against that target. And um, again, you can use this multiple times against as many targets as you'd like. So I can spend, a, but even then, if I'm fighting the BBEG, I get three swifts in a round. I can spend a swift to do knowledge is life, a swift to do knowledge is power, and a swift to do knowledge is strength. I'll crit against the guy massively. I'll get a plus two to defenses against him and a plus two to attack against him. Pretty just much. Based on a just full round of gather info checks. Right. And if you've maxed out your initiative, which you very well may have to be an infiltrator, <laughs> dude, you you're, you you hopefully are going first, and you're just owning. That's awesome. So, okay, so what we have here is we have a talent tree that, okay, thanks to its primary talent, accomplishes everything through one skill check, gather info. Maxing out that skill, right, drives the entire talent tree. And again, Bothan's happy to get skill focus, gather info as a bonus feat, so how about that? All right, but again, if you're not a Bothan, there are other options, and we talked about this. So let's wrap this up with a segment I want to call I Spy. <laughs> The, the Infiltrator class, Dave, opens the door to many different character options. Now, one of them I think we've talked about is plaintively apparent, and that would be to make a hardcore boss what? Um, a hardcore boss? No, uh, like a super awesome... I, I mean, I, I, mean I, I would go for the martial artist immediately. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I wasn't following you there. Yeah, yeah, mar I mean, yeah martial artist, and then you go Terrace Kazi, and dude... Yeah, you're owning with your bare you're, hands. You're you're cuning there because you know not poning, cuning. Cues cues one more than Pete. It's better. I'm roaring. <laughs> now listen, the the poor base attack bonus and the moderate hit die they're so so, but the great defense boost, unarmed stun, concealed weapons expert go wonderfully with a martial artist build. All right, fantastic. Now, <clears throat> the two other builds that I really like for this, the first is the sneak, get in, get out, leave no trace. The infiltrator is a master thief. 
bottom line. We don't see a whole lot of that in the Star Wars universe. You notice that there's a lot in the EU, but we don't see a whole lot of it in our gaming. You I know. know. Yeah, you have to get back into D&D to get you a rouge. Yes. <laughs> the rouge. Greatest class ever, the rouge. The rouge, yes. But seriously, I, th I think an outlaw tech or a scoundrelly build could benefit greatly from the infiltrator, especially with lead infiltrator and creeping approach. Just fantastic talents. Yep. Um, and, and a bit of class abilities. And lastly, my favorite build with the infiltrator, the recon specialist, where perception drives everything. Now, this is inefficient if you're playing an actual Bothan, but if you're playing a non-Bothan, it's wonderful. Perception drives everything. So with the informer feed that we talked about, you can make gather info checks with your perception. With SpyNet Agent, Gather Info lets you make Knowledge Galactic lore. So with one feat and one talent, your perception skill determines what your character knows and what your character can find out. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, another great scout talent, since you're going to be taking scout levels to come into this, Acute Senses allows you to re-roll your perception checks, thus allowing you to re-roll your Gather Info checks and allowing you to re-roll your Knowledge Galactic lore checks. So what you've got is a character through, now at this point, Two talents and a feat <laughs> dedicated <laughs> can not only re-roll what they can see, what they can know, and what they can find out. <laughs> Easy as that. And then that sets you up to go further. I mean, that's an incredible. Yeah. I, so I, I, think, I think this is a fantastic prestige class, and there's a lot of options available to it. It's what was one of my favorite in the, uh, in, in the Force Unleashed, but mostly because I, I'm a Bond fanatic and I have a serious soft spot for spies everywhere and the cloak and dagger mentalities and uh i've had some fun gaming sessions in that vein too so indeed, that's pretty cool sir indeed oh, it's yeah. good it's good stuff man it's really good stuff i, I like it enjoy it quite a bit so all right well um um you know it's unfortunate that it comes to this but it is time It is time to end the show. I'm a sad happy. It's a sad happy. Sad happy, happy sad. I want to thank everyone who, uh, you know, uh, signed on, watched us in the chat room, all the people who posted up on the forums and sent us questions. And we ask you please to email us, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com. Get to the forums, d20radio.com slash forums, or call the Lusa line. We would love it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying right there. There you go. We're not Two, having a show next week, are we? No. 206-600-5872 for the loser line. And also as we're... Well, never mind. I'm, I'll leave that for here for just a second. But um, we... But no. Yeah, no show next week. And uh, two weeks from now, we hopefully will have a venerable plethora of guests for episode number 66. The Order 66 podcast, which will come to you apparently on a Saturday night... I believe if that is going to happen on May the 9th. Yes. That's the current plan. Uh, Dave has to go to Memphis this uh, on the 10th, so I will not be in town on the 10th. But I have much work to do. But we want to get this episode out. You know, it's going to take us a couple of weeks to get it ready and all that oh, good yeah. stuff. So, heck, you know, you do what you can do, and we'll try and get it out, and we'll see. It's going to be fun. I can't wait. That's right. Awesome. Well, thanks for another good episode, Gamer Nation. Um, hope to hear from you all very soon. Please let us know what you want to talk about, and we'll talk about it. And uh, for all of us here, for all of you out there, this is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. That's right. And I say keep them dice rolling. 
Greetings, Gamer Nation. This is Darth Korhor, and I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. But if I did, I would have to tell the Alex and Trevor show they are dead wrong about Claudites. Claudites are cool. Not as cool as Wookiees, but y'all already know that. This is Stephen Hawking, and when I'm not making astrophysics calculations, I never listen to the Order 66 podcast. Transmission incoming from the big giant head. The Big Giant Head will never come to you via the Order 66 podcast. He cares about quality. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at StarWars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at Wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. All right. You know, so someone considered that Hawking one to be in poor taste, sir. You know, he's very ill. Uh, he's out of the hospital now, so, you know, he's all right. Oh, is he? Okay, I hadn't heard that. That's fantastic. Yep. So yeah. it was an homage to Mr. Hawking. Excellent. It was an homage to Mr. Hawking, who is not as dead as they thought they would be. Oh, that's excellent. I'm very happy. Good. Yeah, I am too. So. It was, you know, obviously this is the least politically correct episode of uh, Order 66 ever. So... Um, anyway, what I was going to say was <clears throat> the Ennies have thrown us a curveball, and our submissions are due May 15th now. And so, therefore, we require the Gamer Nation to tell us immediately, if not sooner, the five episodes. We're going to re- re-engender that thread, right. I suppose. And it's, we still, know, it's still stickied up there, but I'll go yeah. ahead and... Um, we know for I'll- sure we're going to use 37. Yeah, we know we're going to use 37. We know we're going to use um, uh, Sam's episode. Right. And uh, and also, um, uh, we decided... Uh, pre- uh, the, the last episode we had with uh, with Rodney and Sterling and uh, Gary on... Um, we, oh, we are going to use that. We're going to use that one, too. Oh, okay, because we're going to use the Dark Side episode, too. So I guess that leaves one for the Gamer Nation to vote on. Yes. Or if you guys think of other compelling reasons, but we really want to get you guys input. Um, right. I mean, what you've already told us, we've kind of used those decisions to kind of make these preliminary picks. Um, but we, we definitely want to know what you, what you guys really like from our episode so we can get it out there and uh, hopefully win an any. Yeah! That would be cool, you know? Gen Con, Gen Con, Gen Con, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Sunday. You know, I was making my Gen Con schedule and I had to remind myself to keep Friday night free for the Annie's. And I'm like, oh. Right, okay. yeah. Like they're really gonna, like we are gonna win. Little <laughs> Order sixty six podcast is gonna win an. I know, I know. It, it's I'm just happy to be nominated, but um, I don't know. I'd still like to go. It would be awfully fun. I think yeah. there's some awesome stuff that's been nominated this year, very in terms of game system. So I'm anxious sure? to see what. Yep, me too. So anyway, yep, very short uh, daydreaming this week because you know, heck, I didn't really intend on doing a daydreaming at all, but this kind of came up last second, so. Needed to get this out there so. for Gamer Nation Land to know, and 
Um, you know, otherwise I would have put Brev's baby in daydreaming as well, but I didn't. So there you go. <laughs> Brev's daydream. Brev's baby didn't need to be relegated to daydreaming. It deserved a big shout out off the cast. So. It did. By golly, its own. So absolutely. <clears throat> Indeed. Sorry to clear my throat right there in the microphone, but hey, it's worse. We're not professional podcasters after all. <laughs> so with that, Gamer Nation, we thank you for allowing us to invade your personal space. You guys stay hard. Keep jamming, and we'll see you.